Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester United podcast. My name is Stephen Wilson and we are recording after Manchester United. We've won 3-0 in the Europa League on Thursday night, thanks to goals from Diego Dallo, Marcus Rashford and Ronaldo against FC Sheriff. And it's just me and Samuel today, so you can forget your partnerships with Andy Cole and Dwight York, because we're going to have the best partnership today, aren't we, Samuel? Just me and we'll you, how try. are you? Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> try, absolutely. If you, uh, normally, my, my, my strike partner is, is Rich Fay in these uh, settings, but uh, yeah, I, I think having seen you in five aside, you'll... You'll more than do, Stephen, to, to say the least. I've got big boots to fill with Rich not on the podcast today. I must I say, I must say. Um, as always, Samuel, we'll just get into it straight away. And I always like to ask you really what, for your snap verdict, your snap reaction, what were your first thoughts leaving Old Trafford on Thursday night? Obviously, we are recording on, on Friday afternoon ahead of that match uh, against West Ham on Sunday. It, it was pleasant to walk out the stadium, having witnessed a routine, straightforward win. United have found those very hard to come by this season. The, the two easiest wins they've had all season have been against Sheriff, so we shouldn't be too surprised about that. In the first half, there was that that slight doubt that this could be another another difficult long night because again they were dominant, but they weren't they weren't scoring. Their their conversion rate was as, as profligate as as it has been in, in some of the more recent games. Although I don't think Sheriff were being tested quite enough, or their goalkeeper wasn't being tested enough. That said, United were playing. Absolutely fine. I mean, Christian Eriksen is, is a joy to watch in, in games like that. When 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 games are very much of of that one one paced uh, nature, and and it is one way traffic, it, it's it's like an exhibition match to him. And and he was great to watch. And fortunately for United, they they did get that goal just before half time. And you knew then and there that that was that was game over. It's it's very rare that. The scoreline reads one 0 at half time, and and the contest is dead. But that was the case last night. It was a question of, in the case of how many they'd win by, still quite a, a modest win, three 0 against a team that really should have been taken to the cleaners. But goals, this team, this United team, are finding goals quite difficult to come by, irrespective who, of who plays up front. But it does bode well that that Ronaldo and, and Rashford scored. I thought Renash, uh, Rashford's header in particular was. was it's an uncharacteristic goal for him, but a really well-taken goal. Beautifully worked from right to left. And Luke Shaw's had a very good few weeks and, and got another assist. So, as I said, when for, for us walking out, it was just it was pleasant to you know, to have covered a game that was very easy to do. Um, no real late rewrites at all or anything like that. Not no drama. We've we've had a fair bit of drama recently with the Casemiro equaliser. And United really do need to get in the habit of winning games in, in that manner more often now because we've we've said it time and again in, in a season as unusual as this where where some players could end up playing uh, you know a, a preposterous amount of games that they do need to be able to rest players and give players breathers and a few got breathers last night as well which was a bonus ahead of the West Ham game. 
we'll obviously get stuck into the, the talking points in this podcast. And there's a lot of them from the game, Ganacho, for example. But I think we'll start with Ronaldo, really. He was the, the main talking point late in the week, obviously after his tantrum against Tottenham. The press conference that you were at on Wednesday afternoon that was dominated by questions naturally about Ronaldo off the peace talks with Ten Hag earlier in the week. But he did return to the side, Samuel. He started, obviously, uh, down the middle. <laughs> As you've just said, it almost felt like one of those games. It felt like we had saw it before with Ammonia. United had all the ball, but they weren't really breaking uh, Sheriff down. They were struggling in that regard. And Ronaldo it just didn't look like the goal was going to come, did it? He had a few chances. He had the ball in the back of the net for offside. I think he booted the ball in the Stratford end. But finally, he got that goal in the second half, didn't he? So what was your verdict on his performance? And I noted you kind of observed his body language and it seemed a bit more positive, didn't it, in the first half? It, it did, and it did at Carrington on Wednesday for those of us who bothered to stay behind for training, which isn't always advised because United can be very untrustworthy with coming out on time. I think we were waiting nearly half an hour uh, after the, the intended time that they were due to emerge. And it had been it had been raining quite heavily that day, but fortunately we, we avoided it. My, um, my, my shoes weren't too muddied from, from the turf either. But he was at the front of the queue, Ronaldo, when they were jogging round and he was the first on the ball that you could tell even then. I mean, these are small details, but the consequences or the, the, the way he was carrying himself still seemed quite significant. And, and last night it was, it, was the, it was exactly the same. Even at the start of the game, he's winked at the camera there were thumbs up from Lassio and Martinez for their passes. There was um, some interaction with the crowd after the, the defender just got a, a toe to the ball when it looked uh, he looked certain to score in that case, um, in that instant, uh, that that opportunity. But in terms of his actual performance, I just thought he was a, a much more was a much more mobile Ronaldo from that than in the Newcastle game against Newcastle. He just seemed quite flat. It was a flat performance from United as well, obviously against a much better team. But last night he did seem a lot more emboldened. And I think that was bound to be the case after what happened last week. And United have, have dealt with the, the situation impeccably. And Ronaldo, there was an element of contrition in his statement on, on Instagram last week. He, he's never going to say sorry. I think you, you know, hell will freeze over before that ever happens. But the fact that he had his name chanted after it consciously was not chanted by the away dayers at Chelsea, which you know, was the principal thing to do. Yet he was never going to get booed either. He's enhanced too many United fans' lives with the, the great moments he's given them um, in, in this spell of his career and, and the first spell when during, during his first six years at the club. He's too great a player for that to happen. It, it has to be a particularly egregious act by a United player past or present for them to be booed at Old Trafford it, it seldom happens and it was never going to happen to him uh, despite how some people might want to interpret the the sounds that you hear because I mean the obvious joke and I saw it coming last week was the whole are they saying are you saying boo or boo earns for those who are, who are fans of the Simpsons because obviously his celebration uh, does sound like a boo but it isn't and I think for people who hadn't got a clue what a sue was at the start of last season and I'll hold my hands up. I, I was one of them. It, it can be confusing at times, but he was he was serenaded as well uh, by, by the Stretford end. He, he got a, a very good reception. Uh, it, it was never going to be the occasion for United fans to outright turn against him. And what has helped is the way the club have conducted themselves, the way Ten Hag has dealt with, with Ronaldo privately and in public uh, at the press conferences. So 
it's you know, United fans have got behind the manager. That's left the player with little choice but to you know, just draw a line after last week. It was an aberration. I think what was so egregious about Ronaldo's conduct during the Tottenham game was that he let himself down. That that was not a true reflection of him. He is one of the most professional athletes you're ever likely to come across. And probably for the first time in his career, his his professionalism deserted him. And I, I think when he probably mulled over it uh, and, and allowed the dust to settle, that that's what would have gnawed away at him most. It wasn't so much that he, you know, that, that he wasn't coming on or that he wasn't starting the game. It was the fact that he he did what he's never done before. Effectively, I mean, certainly I can't um, I can't think of a time where he's he's done something similar to that. It's just something he's not associated with. But new starts of the week, you know, clean slate. Everything's been taken care of now, and you know, things can continue. Uh, hopefully for United's case anyway, in a rather serene manner for the rest of the year. And it does help that the World Cup essentially takes six weeks out of it and January does come along a lot quicker. But you know, I, I still would not be surprised in the slightest if Ronaldo is still a United player at the end of January because an exit route is going to be extremely hard to come by uh, with, with such a, a short window. And the way he... You know, the way he performed last night and, as I said, his body language, the way he acted, um, applauding the fans even at full time. Uh, I thought that that's not necessarily something he's synonymous with, but he went into the other half to do that rather than just applauding them on the way down the tunnel. If if he's got that attitude, and it's it feels almost churlish to say if he's got that attitude, because normally, as I said, you don't, you don't associate him with having a bad attitude. But if he acts like that from now until the end of the season... It, it's it's on it's in all parties' interests, but it's just whether for him is he going to accept this borderline peripheral role at United because he's he's a front man, and although it might be difficult to identify a club where he could be a front man in the new year, and he would want to be in the Champions League, and so that reduces the the possible clubs significantly, and then when you consider the clubs who are in there and who would actually go for him. I'm not too sure you end up with with an option at all in January. So it might just be that he has to just swallow his pride for seven or eight more months, see out his second year at United and then embark on a, on another chapter and turn a new leaf next summer. I was obviously just going to ask you about where does that leave us in the next few weeks leading up to the World Cup and the January window, but I think you've answered that perfectly there. There's a few chats. There's, there's not going to be an easy answer, is there? That's the thing. It's going to rumble on. Um, no, that's that's it. We've already, even this week, you've got clubs publicly, clubs who were offered him in the summer, publicly saying we're not going to sign him in, in January. And the, the Sporting Lisbon coach was very open about that, that they couldn't afford his salary. If, if clubs were like that in the summer and that transparent, it would have done us all a favour because it would have put to bed uh, that that story very quickly and very early on in the window. My gut feeling all along was that he would end up staying at United just because who's going to pay his salary? Uh, who's going to pay the transfer fee? And, and who needs a, a striker of that profile? Again, it, 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 it seems somewhat churlish to suggest who would want Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest goal scorer in, in, in the game's history and who got 24 goals in 38 games for United last season and was their player of the year and he won a couple of player of the month awards. He was in the PFA team of the year. But it doesn't work out as easily as that. 
And it will be a lot easier for a potentially interested club to sign him next year when there, there won't be a, the obstacle of a fee of having to extract him from another club. And you can, you, you've got a bit more time to negotiate as well. And before we move on, I'll just say to listeners, take Samuel's comments about not knowing about uh, Ronaldo's celebration with a big pinch of salt. I've witnessed him do the sea at five aside before. Regularly, of course, Samuel. <laughs> Me? <laughs> well, the, the thing, well, Rich obviously scored at Old Trafford wearing the number seven. And he I didn't, think he, did he? He did contemplate doing it, but I was so quick to rush into his arms, it, it gave him no choice. <laughs> it's like a proud, proud father sits in their son... Um, scoring at Old Trafford so yeah I I aged myself in that uh amid the jubilation of us very briefly drawing level with the the United media staff excellent and we won't happen whatever what, what happened after that goal and we'll win because the scoring wasn't wasn't very pretty from that moment it was not it absolutely no. was not no yeah. uh Samuel we were at Vala together in pre-season at Old Trafford um and obviously Ronaldo's future was rumbling on then I think he dubbed himself the king the king returns I think is what he said as a direct quote before that game so Fernando's the king. Is Gonacho the prince? Is he the is he the heir to the throne? That's, that's not a bad intro. Not a bad not intro not, at all, not a especially bad, given their, uh, their their kinship. I mean, Garnacho is what he's he's half Ronaldo's age as well. Yep. So it is it is pretty practically father son, albeit it would be a very young father uh, for for Garnacho. But I suppose that that was the one jolt last night um, because normally when we're doing. Uh, a, a, we don't do predicted lineups, we do personal lineups, but none of us really gave any any notion to, to, to the consideration of Garnacho even starting. I think everybody expected Sancho to come out of the team uh, and, and Ronaldo to start. And it was just a case of whether it be Rashford or, or Elanga on the left. And I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it was rather significant that Ten Hag went with Garnacho over Elanga. Again, that distances himself from previous regimes in that Elanga is he, he is essentially Ralph Rangnick's academy legacy uh, he, he made his debut under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well and although he had a few starts at the start of the season and, and did pretty well in that first half against Liverpool the, the moment you uh, remember from those games is when he put the ball against the post at 0-0 uh, in, in that game against Liverpool and that could have been costly and, and unfortunately when Elanga's on the pitch the goal scoring threat subsides significantly he's he's not scored for united since february so that's that's a shame for him and garnacho it was a free hit he's coming up against a team who united should be beating against who you're going to have a lot of the ball uh against as well and he was utterly unfazed and that that didn't come as a surprise to any of us who who have watched him in person whether it be for for the academy last season during the youth cup run or that by friendly which was his only appearance on pre-season. Um, he, he, he obviously travelled to Bangkok and he travelled to Melbourne and Perth, but he didn't get a kick whatsoever. And I, I know there have been some things in the background and Ten Hag practically confirmed them last night with what he said post-match when he said he wasn't happy with him at the start of the season, with his attitude and lack of resilience. And he said in recent weeks, it, those those things have been better from him. And Ten, Ten Hag, again, he, he dealt with it in a very... Um, in a very composed manner in that you said you get that with with young players and that, that's that's natural and, and sometimes you've got to knock out knock, knock the bad habits out of them and w- with Garnacho, his Anas Morables has been remarkable for I mean he's turned 18 this year 
and normally if you're if you're living in the UK and you're turning 18 in, in a year you're either studying for your A-levels or you're applying the nest to go to university or you're entering the big wide working world he's debuted for United started for United trained with Messi played with Ronaldo called up to the Argentina squad uh, debuted for Argentina under 20s won the youth cup got what seven goals in six youth cup games last season toured with United you know it's it's there's there's little point mentioning the fact that he got a Nike contract or he had hospitality service at, at Chelsea one night as well with 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 his entourage and and those things are probably what would impress most teenagers these days and you get a sense that he does believe his own hype a little bit um he's had a hell of a lot of acclaim in such a short period of time he only joined United two years ago from Atletico Madrid, he joined their academy and here he is getting a look in ahead of Facundo Palestri, who I believe signed something like three days later, but of course he was signed for the United first team and he's still not made his debut for the club. So however way you look at it, the rise of Garnacho has been remarkable and in fair, fair dues to him in pre-season, he returned early. I think he returned before uh, his, his minimum three weeks off because he played in the Toulon tournament, but he wanted to get back in and th that showed good intent. But uh, like a lot of uh, teenagers, um, you, it's, it's going to be a struggle to maintain a consistency in the way they approach um, their, their everyday life. And, and, and Ten Hag is obviously going to have to be mindful of that. And as I said, there, there are elements of Garnacho that they've got to you know, be be, be careful with because as I said I think he does believe his own hype and some of his posts on Instagram could be mistaken for an influencer but as long as he is cutting it at Carrington and then he's performing on match day nobody's going to care about that and he had a really good game I thought I was I was very impressed with how direct he was with the running I, I think the crowd helped as well that where it was half term week and it was a much more junior crowd watching a winger who is making his first start and, and isn't that, that old either is, is going to appeal to to the juniors in the crowd. And you could hear the clattering of plastic seats because Garnacho was drawing fans off their seats. And that's always a you know a, a good indicator of, of a player who who the crowd have, have taken to quite quickly and the love affair United fans have with with wingers is very ardent and Garnacho is, is looking like the, the latest to come off the conveyor belt. And let's face it, if you look at wingers who've come through at United, whether through the academy or signed at a young age, that seems to be the position they excel at producing academy players for men's first team more than any other. I completely agree with that. I was very, very impressed with them. And the, the game got a lot more exciting, didn't it, when uh, the team news came out and Garnacho was starting. Yeah, um, I think definitely. Um, as you said, it's directness. Direct, you, when you look at Sancho the last few weeks, he's really struggled. Um, he's, he's too ponderous on the ball, but pedestrian. Yeah. He lacks quality, doesn't take on his man. And it's a complete opposite from Garnacho on, on Thursday night. And that was fantastic to see. I don't know if you agree, Samuel actually did my panel quite early today, the, the teams we kind of enter for Sunday. And I had Garnacho starting. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I don't think that's actually that much of a big call anymore, is it, after that performance? Because when you look at Sancho's performances, as I've mentioned, he's just he's been really, really poor the last few weeks. So before I ask you your opinion on that, I also want to get a, an update on his contract situation, obviously, because he is contracted until 2025. Um, you've obviously done the line today that United are in talks for a new deal. So two questions in one. Would you, would you start him against West Ham on Sunday? And also, can you give us an update on those talks with the club and the player? I, I wouldn't start him on Sunday, but I, I think he's got to be considered as one of the 
the go-to game changers if, if United are in need of a goal or they're, they're attacking and, and struggling for a breakthrough. You, you've got to be careful easing players in. He's going to be up. He would be up against a much more formidable opponent, um, whoever it may be, starting at right back for West Ham, whether it's Johnson or Kufal, much more physical player, much more intense, much higher level as well. So you've, I think there's got to be, you know, it's got to be a, a phasing in process uh, so to speak there and, and in terms of the contract I think those talks started four or five months ago uh, United were very keen to stress that he was under contract until 2025 because there were some inaccurate reports coming out of Italy that he was out of contract in 2023 and of course that means if a player's coming out that if, if, if a player's out of contract in a year's time then Juventus are going to be sniffing about them because Juventus have this long track record of signing players who who are unattached to clubs or have recently left the club but there's a good good amount of time left on his deal the word from united is that talks are progressing i don't think there's any real danger imminent danger there of him um, of, of his united future being in, in doubt at all he, he will get more playing time this season uh he's he's working under a manager who has has a very good record of, of bringing through young players at ajax and and even at United this season, it's, it's somewhat flown under the radar that almost every starter in the Youth Cup final in May has either played under Ten Hag, trained under Ten Hag, or been uh, selected in the matchday squad uh, by Ten Hag. So already he is you know, embracing the, the, the youthful identity of the club, but not in such an apparent way of just you know chucking a load of youngsters into a team. Um, and, and giving plenty of players debuts, it's it's in a much more measured way that is uh, for the club's benefit and also for the young for, for these young players' benefits as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's very exciting moving forward. Obviously, I was at Altrinham on Wednesday night before that game and uh, Fred Vixen started at centre-half and, and Dan Goh had a, had a good game. He was wearing the captain's armband on Wednesday night. If we move on, though, back to obviously the Europa League, I wanted to ask you about the goal scorers, obviously Diego, Dallo and Rashford, but we'll start with Dallo first. I know you've tweeted today and I think it's the last 23 consecutive games Dallo started, which is yeah, very, nice. very impressive. That's very impressive. I will admit, Samuel, I've been a bit of a, a Dallo sceptic myself, but he is winning his over every single week. And I think he's been fantastic this season. He keeps on improving. So can I have a word on his improvement, really? Because from last season, as you said, he was you know out of sorts, maybe not fancied as much, came in, um, probably because Wan-Bissaka was so poor, really, and he offered a little bit more going forward. But it's been great to see, hasn't it? He's he's had a very good year. Uh, I mean, maybe a very good two years, in fact. Uh, he's He's been injury-free for... I think since the summer of 2020, possibly, maybe even a bit further back than that. And for a player who was so injury prone his first two years at United to have started the last 23 games is some going. There's a lot of mitigation there, of course. He's got no competition at right back. Uh, Wambasaka, he trained on Wednesday and then he wasn't even in the squad last night, which really doesn't surprise me whatsoever. 
Brandon Williams is is still injured and has played most of his football as a left back. But Dallo is is a very impressive professional. I remember being told that when he was in Italy um, during the pandemic in winter, that there were some Italian players who ill-advisably decided to go on holiday to Dubai. There were some players um, over in England as well. I think it was uh, women's players who, who did that and got quite rightly so got some stick for it. And he didn't do that because he didn't want to risk getting COVID and he didn't. He was in literally every AC Milan squad after he joined them on loan. And you only have to look at the clubs that have been interested in him since that loan deal. Milan wanted to um, to re-sign him. Dortmund were interested. Atletico Madrid have been interested. Barcelona, Roma, Juventus. I'm probably forgetting one or two names along the way. He's got into the Portugal squad. I think he would be he'd be more than worthy of, of starting for Portugal at the World Cup. Remains to be seen if he does. They've got a few decent uh, fullbacks elsewhere, of course. But to have had as progressive a, a year as he has at United is, is is testament to his resilience as well, because Solskjaer really didn't fancy him. I think that was apparent to everyone. Uh, he didn't give him any chances last season. It wasn't a coincidence. Dallow got in the team not long after Solskjaer was sacked. I think wan started in Michael Carrick's first two games, but then Dallow starts against Arsenal uh, because wan had, a, I think it was a hand injury uh, that he sustained at Chelsea. And then he stayed in pretty much under Ralph Rangnick. And I remember in, it must have been December last year when Dallow started four games on the spin in, in the league or five. And that was seen as achieve, an achievement because he'd never done that before for United. Now, as I said, We've, we're talking about him starting 23 games on the spin. Portugal international. Um, he's you know, he's done well under two different, very different managers in in Rangnick and, and Ten Hag. It's it's a straightforward decision to give him a, a new contract. They, it's it's in United's interest to do that sooner rather than later. And I think everybody has been you know, have had their doubts about him at some point or another because certainly that Real home game last season when Dan Juma gave him. A right chasing. It was, I mean, remarkably, and uh, again, this speaks well of Dallo. He he was the uh, player who was on the virtual mix zone afterwards, speaking, despite having probably the worst performance of his United career, um, not even half an hour just before that. But that's that's again, that's testament to his character, and he's you know his, his English is excellent. He he communicates really well. In, the, in that defence, he's speaking Spanish to Varane and Martinez. He's speaking Portuguese with Anthony, speaking English with Ericsson. Uh, and obviously, if, if and McTominay, if he's playing with Casemiro, it would be Portuguese as well. So he's, he's a jack of all trades and he's mastered quite a few of them. Obviously, we've moved on to Rashford. Uh, Dado scored a header before the for the half time and obviously Rashford scored ahead of, but I'd say Rashford was probably the better of the two. It was fantastic to be fair. His, his neck muscles, it was similar to yeah. Casemiro. I was impressed how Casemiro got it in a Stamford Bridge and Rashford was the kind of similar calibre uh, of goal. Six goals this season, Samuel, which has been very impressive. Uh, he's already surpassed his contribution from last season. Obviously the England, the World Cup's on the horizon, the England squad, that's the question. Will he make that or not? But he's playing for playing with confidence again. He's got a smile back on his face, and he generally looks a threat every time he's on the pitch, doesn't he? He is, and it was interesting the role he he, he went into last night. He was playing as the number ten, which he's hardly ever played before. Certainly in the first team, I think he did in the junior teams uh, a long time ago, obviously. 
but it, it worked reasonably well. I don't think it's obviously going to be a long-term um, blueprint for United. It was just the, the occasion lent itself to it. I suspect Fernandez wasn't too happy about being re- relocated in the second half for, for the second game running because he, he didn't really contribute much after Rashford came on. But it was a, it was a wonderful header, terrific move by United as well. Not the kind of goal you associate with Rashford at all. And it... It will ha- it will do him the power of good to have already scored more goals than he managed last season. I think he was on probably two last season, but he of course his season only started in October because of the the shoulder surgery he had to have, and he did start quite well when he came back. He got two goals in as many games uh, against Leicester and Atalanta, and then he even got I think he came on against Tottenham and got a third. That would have been three and four games last season, so he actually did start well individually, but. Unfortunately for him, then he didn't score again until January. And then after a couple of goals against Brentford and West Ham, he didn't score again all season. But he does look a very different player this season. He looks a hell of a lot more confident. Um, he's, he's playing under a manager who is, you know, really embraces his his flexibility. I think it does help that Ten Hag favours the, the more junior attackers, whereas under Solskjaer, he had Cavani and he had Ronaldo understandably he would want to play those players ahead of Rashford up front because they are they've been brilliant strikers uh, but there were there was a lot of nuance to why Rashford wasn't getting in still um a lot of the fault lied with him uh, i know there's been some revisionism there as if like Solskjaer was holding him back and obviously it's never going to help if a manager is is managing solely from the office and isn't out on the training ground um, pitch often enough I think Rashford felt a little, a bit let down by that, but unfortunately his his form was poor for for eighteen months, and you can't pin that on a manager or a coach or a setup or anyone coming in. I mean, his his form last season was not down to Ronaldo. That's been one of the the weirdest questions posed this season. You know, did did Ronaldo um, have have an adverse effect on on Rashford when Rashford's um, you know, poor poor stretch started well before Ronaldo uh, returned to United this season. It, it's not a coincidence that he is playing better with with Ronaldo, not a regular. But he had to mature as well in in ways, and you know th- there were still some missteps that that occurred, not necessarily by him, more so by his brother, and you know, trying to put pressure on United with the contract and the not particularly dis- discreet meeting with with PSG back in. August or July or where, whenever it was, but the player himself is is doing well this season. I still, I'm still not having him as a striker. I still don't see that as a long term role for him. And you know, he he scored from a central role last night, but as I said, it was a role that he rarely plays in. It, it would have been potentially, um, you know, a potential turning point for him last week had he managed to score against Tottenham or or Chelsea leading the line for United because he needs to he needs a goal as a striker he's still not got that this season all of his goals have have come from positions that have not been the number 9 role and if he wants to stake his place for being a striker for United he he has to cut it as a number 9 and i, I still don't see him as that I, I don't think there's a debate over his best position his best position is is from the left hand side but this season, he's done a good job pretty much of, of filling in there with uh, Ronaldo not necessarily being out of the races for most of the time and Marshall being being injured more often than not. And with England, it, it bodes well that they've got another good option 
for their attack. It just remains to be seen if, if the coach can be persuaded, can be persuaded to um to play to his strongest suit because he, he's not done that so far. Well, that's what I was going to say, Sam. I was going to say regarding the World Cup, do you think Southgate will take him because he's got form? Yeah. For for questionable decisions, I'd personally, I'd personally take him. I'd, I'd take him to Qatar. I think is one of the most informed players in the league currently. And his versatility is, is certainly attractive as well. Obviously, he can play through the middle, but he's best on the left. Um, so do you think he will make the squad? Because he's not played for England, I think, since the Euros uh, last year. I think he will because he's been in form for Man United and he's he's banked credits with Southgate as well. He's played under Southgate for for the whole of his of his tenure as England manager. It's it's easy to forget that he, he made his debut for, for England under Roy Hodgson. I think it was up at up at Sunderland when he when he scored against Australia in that pre Euros friendly in oh, was that like yeah. I thought you might have been, yeah, yeah. So a, a little bit of of history. It, it, that was the year when obviously he was scoring on on every debut imaginable, whether it was Europa League, England Premier League, uh, League Cup, uh, probably another debut of some <laughs> sort. Uh, but where they've got 26 players to choose from three are obviously goalkeepers so more or less you can pick eight players from the other three departments and attacking wise i don't think southgate will pick eight outright attackers but he easily fits in whether it's six seven or eight forwards they'll have kane sterling um uh, Grealish, obviously, Tammy Abraham is probably another one. Phil Foden, if you're counting him as an attacker, which I think you have to, is is obviously someone who has to be in that squad. I think Rashford, he's one of the first names uh, that that you can think of, uh, and and there are other good players, good potential players who could make that squad. Um, so I mean, I, I think it was quite clear at the start of the season that Rashford and Sancho getting in the England squad was a stretch, and. So it's proven to be the case, I think, so far. I would it wouldn't surprise me if Sancho wasn't even in the fifty-five man list that the, the national team managers have had to submit at this strangely early juncture um for the World Cup. One name that will definitely be on the list because Southgate absolutely loves him is Harry Maguire. Um and we'll discuss the reception he got last night, Samuel. He came on at half time. Um, obviously didn't have much to do in the second half. He did get a yellow card, but that was definitely a very harsh yellow card. It was not a yellow card, in my opinion. Um, so could you give some insight into the reaction, really? It was a bit mixed, wasn't it, when he came on, um, from your perspective in the in the press box? I couldn't understand what was actually being said, and I still can't say for certainty whether he was getting booed. There was, there was definitely one point where he got the ball 40 yards out, and it was definitely shoot. And, I mean... In terms of the Room 101 of football, I think shoots, people shouting shoot is one of the things that has to go in there. It's it's just dreadful. I don't care what the average age of the crowd is. It, it's just got to be discouraged. He got a really good ovation and reception when he warmed up in the first half. It was the first time I've heard Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire, just, it was literally just that over and over being chanted at Old Trafford. I, I, I can't recall that being heard before. He's that, that dreadful England song about him was chanted against Leicester in April, but that was more in a response to the booing he got on England duty. Unfortunately, those United fans cut that out because it's just a, an abysmal chant um, by a pretty abysmal set of fans, frankly, where, where England are concerned, where you've got these ingrates who, who boo players who played brilliantly for them at, at two successive tournaments. But I couldn't, I couldn't work out if, if it was booing. There probably was an element of it. I don't understand it. I think it's... 
it's pretty risible. Um, as I said, it's it's half term week. It was a more junior crowd in. It felt like in some ways a more pantomime crowd. So you're likely to get that element of it. I, I certainly couldn't say with certainty it was just shoot or it was just boo. I think it was probably a mixture. Um, and I, I don't think that's a reliable gauge of United fans. I certainly don't think if Maguire plays on Sunday, we'll have this debate of was it shoot or boo? I mean, it's another boo or boo earns, isn't it? I thought it was just going to be uh, restricted to to Ronaldo, but clearly not. Uh, it's, it's strange behaviour. It's it, it was strange behaviour by England fans uh, to do that in, in March, and they did it again more recently, uh, again at the MCG during the pre-season tour to get to, to be booing a Man United captain it's it's just it's, it's pathetic really it's I, I don't I, I, look fans have a right to to voice their opinion in a way and look Maguire has has deserved criticism this year nobody is disputing that whatsoever both of us have been critical of him how could you not be and we've been critical in a fair and objective way I, I've always taken a dim view of supporters booing one of their own players, it would have to be, as I said earlier about Ronaldo, it would have to be a particularly egregious act by a player uh, to get booed. I mean, Paul Pogba got booed by United fans on his last Old Trafford appearance earlier this season, and he wasn't necessarily having an abysmal performance that day. He wasn't playing well, but it did feel quite a jolt, and maybe that was a carryover from the protests that were going on outside, and it seemed a particularly fervent atmosphere, but if, if there was a player who arguably would be deserving of that level of um, not, not, not abuse, but certainly deserving of booing, then you could possibly say Pogba was one of them just because of how, how often he and his agent used to undermine United and obviously relation, relation soured between him and the supporters. But Maguire has always been quite appreciative of, of, of United fans and, and and of just the fact that he's playing for the club as well. So it, it was strange, but I think there was an element of, I mean, as I said, he had his name chanted. I think there was some shouting shoot and I think there was some shouting boo. So it was um, it was, it was about as diverse and, and as mixed as you could get, uh, which which made it rather peculiar. Well, just to add to your last point, I think I completely agree. He's, he's always remained a dedicated professional on and off the pitch. He does a lot of work um, with the club, at the foundation and, and charity work and not and whatnot. So I don't think is it can't be questioned whether he cares or not, because he does. His performances were not good enough last season. Yeah, of course, far from it. But it's time to move on, put that behind. The club's moving in a different direction and a bit of positivity this season, I think. And, and hopefully those performances behind Maguire, he can return to his best. But he's still got it in that position in the team, doesn't he? Because... That's not going to be a given. Um, but if we move on, Samuel, last point, really, I wanted to ask you about uh, Real Sociedad next week because obviously we've had a few dead rubber games, really, although they haven't, some haven't been straightforward in the Europa League. But obviously Real Sociedad beat United on the, the night the Queen passed away. It was a bit of a weird game, a bit of a surreal atmosphere. Um, but United are in Spain next week and they need to win by two goals to win the Europa League group. You've just mentioned it earlier in the podcast. This team has struggled for goals this season. I think the score, I've got another down, I think it's 16 goals and 11 matches in the Premier League. So they've not exactly been flowing. So realistically, can you see United going to Spain next week and, and winning by two goals? Because that is the target and that's been the target all season to win the Europa League group, hasn't it? I mean, that that is a tall order. Um, I, I need to look up actually when 
United last one by two goals in Spain with a with a crowd present as well because I've just thought of Granada in the Europa League last year. Uh, but given that that's about as unmemorable a knockout or, or a tie against a Spanish team as it gets for United, uh, it's it's not really worthy of writing home about. And as I said, there wasn't a crowd present as well. Um, I, look, Sociedad have been very, very as, as consistent as it gets. They've they've literally won all their games. Uh, they've not let up at all. They've fully capitalised on that advantage since they beat United in, as you say, very, very strange circumstances. And it was rather appropriate that the decision that um, gifted them the opportunity to win the game that evening was a strange one, just about one of the worst handball penalty decisions that you're ever likely to see against Lissandro Martinez. I do have my doubts of, of United winning by two clear goals. I think if they do, you know, that, that's another that's another step in the right direction. Uh, it's, it's further proof that they can you know, handle a pressure situation of some sort. It's, it's strange that you know it, it, it is going to get talked up as this you know quite important knockout tie, and it is an important game for them. But I think for the supporters who travel out there, I don't think they'll be too too sore if United fail to win by two clear goals because you know it, it means another trip away in February. Uh, and it means a potential glamour in a competition that, let's let's face it, is not glamorous in the slightest. But United coming up against Barcelona or Juventus or Atletico Madrid or some of the other teams that could finish third in the Champions League group stages next week is, journalistically, obviously, it's, it's very appealing. But I fully understand why Ten Hag wants that group one, because having two free midweeks in February when they've got two games still to rearrange uh, that were postponed from the Queen's death would would be a you know, that'd be extremely helpful for his preparations. You're not going to complain at a, a flight to the new camp, are you, Samuel, compared to a, a trip to Chisnew? No, no, I, I don't think anybody could really. Um, you know, hopefully we, there'd be a scope to sending two on one of those trips if it was a proper glamour tie as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But you, I suppose the worst thing would be for United to have one of those draws and then they get quite underwhelming <laughs> opposition i mean salzburg looks lovely but united versus red bull salzburg in in, in february does not really get the juices flown in terms of uh, the news that it's likely to generate now i was just about the end of the podcast but i've actually forgot to ask you about anthony's term and ironically we did actually forget about that in the the pre pre-podcast discussion as well so i don't know how it slipped our minds yeah because it was quite a big talking point obviously um a lot was made of it on BT Sports. Samuel Savage criticised it. Robbie Savage, Paul Scores criticised it. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen it, and Anthony did his now signature turn before kicking the ball out of play. The uh, and turning, isn't it? I'm certainly not christening that. I can't take credit for that. I've, I'm, I must have seen it somewhere else. I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere else. Excellent. Well, I was going to ask you, where do you stand in it? Because I've actually had to think about it. To begin with, I was like, oh, that, that's really embarrassing. Um, but being a little bit more pragmatic and a bit more understanding, I don't think you should be intensely criticised for it as he has been. I think the backlash has been a bit over the top. Um, so where do you stand on it? Because it was a, an interesting talking point, wasn't it? The, the, the backlash has been, I mean, the, the fact we're using the word backlash. Exactly. Is, not, somebody needs to tell Graham Sooners that Anthony also lives in Paul Pogba's <laughs> old house as well. I mean, that that would, that would particularly enrage him. <laughs> there, there, there has been a lot of, you know, man yelling at, cloud takes on it it's it's not worthy of as much coverage as it has got today ten hag was asked about it understandably he gave 
a very measured answer to it. I was I was happy, you know, f- from from my perspective to to leave it at that. At, at the time, you did think, look, it's it's the thirty eighth minute. It's nil nil against a Moldovan side. Half time is looming, and worst of all, you've actually given the ball away. The ball went straight to the keeper, and look, Diogo Dallo, I think, has defended him today, but he. He was the one who was, you know, giving him some jib about it. He was saying, he was, essentially, he was saying, you know, you, you need to maintain the intensity. Don't don't be frivolous about it. Um, the crowd approved of it, as you would expect. And again, it was a junior crowd with it being half term week, so kids seeing that will will love it. And it's it was a reasonable point that Simon Stone of the BBC made afterwards, um, talking about that. That's going to be a moment that a lot of people talk about and remember for, for quite some time. And a lot of those kids will be doing that in the playground when they go back to school next week. So uh, there'll be plenty of solidarity uh, with, with Anthony. I, d- I don't think it's something that he, he should have done at that time, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to get offended by it. I'm, I'm certainly not outraged by it. He, he could have picked a better time to do it. It's certainly going to be interesting to see uh, how popular Brazil are at the World Cup with uh, Anthony, Richarlison and, and Neymar potentially as their front three. Uh, that That is a front three that w- would wind up even the most temperate of defenders, I would imagine. That will be very interesting to follow in a, in a few moments' time, no doubt. Um, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate the real Stin Luckhurst uh, strike force today, or hope they have. I hope Samuel, so. Samuel, thanks for your time as usual. I hope so, yeah. No mention of West Ham, but no need to mention West Ham as well, I think, even though there is a, a game on Sunday. I think we've we've covered more than enough. It's, yeah, it's... yeah. I wanted to, obviously, the Ganacho talking point, but I think the team kind of picks itself, doesn't it, going into that game. Um, obviously, Sancho probably does come back in, but he's he's not changing the team, is he, at the moment? I don't think Sancho can come back in. He's, I mean, he's even when he was scoring earlier in the season, his performances were not, were not at the level that they needed to be. He would, he would, have a tendency to to fade into anonymity in those games and I don't quite understand why for such for a player who at Dortmund was renowned for his intensity and his directness when you watch him now sometimes it's like watching Dimitar Berbatov in the United shirt in that the ball gets to him and he just wants to take the tempo down and check back in and, and lay the ball off and play at a much slower level uh that's that's not what United need it's that's not going to cut it in the Premier League and I, I don't quite understand whether you know that's a confidence issue or just whether that's the way he is but he, he has the tendency to do that he, he did it at Chelsea last week where he pretty much killed an attack uh, by playing the ball backwards when he should have been more direct with it and of course in, in Nicosia he, he played Malasia into a bit of trouble and United soon went 1-0 down so it would be interesting to see what Ten Hag does there. He's he has talked up the uh, the way Ronaldo and Rashford played uh, with each other in the second half, and maybe maybe that was a dress rehearsal for Sunday. And given that Ronaldo played quite well, scored, you've got a greater goal threat with Ronaldo on the pitch. Garnacho's still very raw. Elanga, if he's on the pitch, you reduce your goal threat. Sancho's bang out of form. Yeah. Despite everything that's happened, I think you've got to know where Ronaldo could be starting in the Premier League um, after what happened against Tottenham last week. And despite all that, I've still got a sneaky feeling that Sancho might start. Uh, I still think Ten Hag might start, and he he definitely won't deserve that start. But I've just no. If he, if he does start and he performs well, then it's it's, it's going to look like great man management. But yeah. I think it's safe to say his uh, his omission from the team last night was very much a, a, a demotion uh, with Luke Shaw. I think. He, 
because he, it was fair to say he was being rested and Rashford was being rested. But with James Sancho, I think that that was him being bombed out of the team and it was time for Ten Hag to look at a different option. And if, if Garnacho gets his opportunity again on Sunday, good, good luck to him. Thank you, Samuel, uh, once again. And thanks to listeners as usual. Take care. Thank you.